Let's read in uh, the book of Isaiah. I'm going to go ahead and start at the first verse. We've already read uh, part of this uh, lection, uh, lesson already. So I will do the background part as well as we read together right now. Isaiah 7, 1 through 14. <clears throat> In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the Lord, before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. <clears throat> and within Sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Then again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which you give us today. We thank you for the wonderful promises that are in your word. And we pray now you would uh, bless this word to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of us here have been on a long trip? How many have been on a trip with small children? <laughs> what is it that they always say? How much longer? When are we going to get there? <laughs> It must be built into the human uh, gene structure, but all, all kids do it everywhere. And uh, I don't know who they learn it from, but they always seem to know what to say. They're always anticipating, they always want to get there, especially if they're going to grandmama and granddaddy's house. <laughs> We've got a few of those here today, of us as well. And they're always wanting to get there, always looking forward. We're right now in the second week of Advent. <clears throat> we had our second candle this morning. And uh, we're having a heightened sense of expectation 
as we move through the Advent season, as we wait and see one more, one more, uh, one more candle, and then it will be Christmas. It will be the day that we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before Jesus was born, there were people already looking forward to his birth. All in the Old Testament, there was a great expectation of a coming uh, Savior, a coming Messiah who'd come to save the people. It started all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. You remember when they had sinned, God started uh, and he gave uh, punishments to each one of them, Adam, Eve, and to the serpent, to Satan himself. And when he got to Satan, he said, the seed of the woman will crush your head. Because you will bite him on the hill, you'll injure him, you'll hurt him. But in the process, he's going to step on your head and destroy you. So all down through the years, the history of Israel, the people who believed God were looking forward to the coming of that day when their great spiritual enemy would be destroyed. You can almost imagine the women down through the years when they would get pregnant, they might think, will this child be the one? Well, this one, because it's the seed of the woman. Uh, God didn't pro promise some mystical figure who had come down as an angel or something like that. He just promised the seed of the woman. A human being will come and will be the one to save his people. As we look uh, into the Advent season, there will be three prophecies that we'll be seeing, especially in the book of Isaiah. This expectation uh, of a savior kind of went up and down in the history of Israel, and by the time of Isaiah, the people were very corrupt, and there probably wasn't, weren't very many people who were waiting for the Messiah. But God gave to Isaiah some very important prophecies that once again rekindled the expectation and the fire that God was gonna keep his promise. He was gonna send a savior. We see that in uh, what we read today, Isaiah 7, 14, it says a virgin, he would be born to a virgin. Chapter 9, 1 to 7 says a child would be born who would be a wonderful counselor, almighty God, the Prince of Peace. In Micah chapter 2, verse 5, we were told that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And this prophecy was so clear that when the uh, Magi came to the house where Jesus was as a baby, they were able to, the leaders of Israel were able to tell them exactly to go to Bethlehem because that's where the Messiah would be born. So the, and then in Micah 2, I said, the Bethlehem of Judea. So today we want to focus on the prophecy that comes in Isaiah 7, 14. In Isaiah 7, 14, we have the prophecy that a child would be born once again kindling the expectation and the hope. And again, all down through history, this was 750 years before Christ was born, and it rekindled the hope that one day this young woman who would be a virgin would have a child, and that child would be Emmanuel. But before we get to that, let's look at the context in which this prophecy was given. Uh, we know in the, verse, the verses that we just read that Israel and Syria had ganged up together to attack uh, Judah in the south. 
You remember that the kingdom of David had been divided between the north and the south. There were ten kingdoms up in the north and only Judah and Benjamin in the south. But here we have Israel in the north making an alliance with Syria. Now Syria was a traditional enemy of Israel. They've been fighting for many years. But because they were afraid of Assyria, they were getting together in an alliance. And they were asking Judah to join them. They were telling Ahaz, come join us against Assyria. But Ahaz, uh, instead of doing that, he just was afraid. And he actually called on Assyria to help against them. But here we kind of see in the beginning of this that his legs were shaking. He was shaking like the wind. He was so afraid of these enemies that were out there getting ready to attack him. So in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this difficult time, God sends Isaiah and he tells him to tell Ahaz, do not be afraid. Now this is a very remarkable, uh, gracious act of God to give a word of hope to Ahaz. Ahaz not only was surrounded by enemies, or enemies to the north, but there was something even worse, and that, that Ahaz was a wicked and evil king. Uh, in uh, 2 Kings 16, we're told that Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even turned his son, he even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom God had driven out before the people of Israel. Can you imagine this king was one of the very worst? There was this practice of child sacrifice going on in the nations around them. And one of the signs when they had gotten so bad in Israel and Judah was when they did the same thing. This is something God never wanted, he never intended. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, he was testing Abraham's faith. Uh, Abraham lived among that kind of people. And they would probably come up to him and say, oh, you really love your God. We sacrifice our kids, what about you? You don't really love your God like we do. So God gave him the opportunity to show he really was willing. He loved God that much to obey God. But God showed very clearly that's not what he wanted. God did not want the human sacrifice, the sacrifice of the children. And instead of uh, Abraham killing his son, God sent a ram to be the sacrifice in the place. And that's a wonderful story of us from the coming of Christ as we're also studying today. So Ahaz, as bad as he was, as evil as he was, God was gracious. And God said, I will spare you. Don't worry about those enemies. Don't worry about little Israel and big Syria. They're nothing. I will give you a relief from them. I will destroy them for you. But Ahaz showed his real colors, his evil heart. He refused, and he did not believe what God was saying. Can you imagine God giving this man this opportunity, promising him a deliverance? And this man was hard and uh, did not accept God's promise. So God said to him, 
okay, I'll give you something to help your faith, to help you believe in me. He says, I will give you a sign. In fact, I'll let you ask for it, whatever you want. Now, in the past, God had used signs to help his people and uh, strengthen their faith. We can think of Abraham, I mean Moses. When God sent Moses to the people, he says, how will they know that I'm coming from you? See, I'm just this guy walking in out of the desert. I used to live here a long time ago, but the people had uh, very few actually remembered that. So God gave, he said, you got a staff in your hand, and whenever it's necessary, I'll use that. So God used Moses' staff as a sign for the people to work miracles in the land of Egypt. <clears throat> and then again, God gave other signs. Uh, you remember Gideon, uh, the judge, Gideon was also afraid. He was afraid of his enemies. But Gideon was a man of faith. He was not perfect by any means. He had uh, his problems, especially after his victory. But God, God told him, that uh, God promised him a victory. So Gideon uh, put the sign before God himself. He didn't wait for God to tell him a sign or even to ask. Gideon said, uh, if you're really telling me to do this, you really want me to be the deliverer, then uh, I ask you to do these miracles with the fleece. Everybody knows the story of the fleece. So God was generous. He was uh, merciful to Gideon, and he did exactly what Gideon asked. And now we have him offering a sign to this wicked king Ahaz. What an act of grace on God's part. Not only to promise victory, uh, but also to give him the opportunity to ask for a sign. But how did Ahaz respond to this gracious offer? He said, I will not ask for a sign. God has given him a gift. It's like a Christmas present all wrapped up and pretty. Somebody comes up and gives you this gift and you say, hmm, no, I don't want it. But something worse even than that then Ahaz rejecting the gift. How did he go about it? He said, I will not put my God to the test. He wrapped his rebellion in uh, hypocritical religion. He tried to say, I'm religious. I'm a, a Jew. I'm not going to put you to the test, God. We know that's not right. But he was showing his hypocrisy. He had no intention of uh, worrying about God and his uh, honor and his glory. He had already rejected the offer, and now he rejects the sign that God has given. So God is angry with him, and God says, here's a sign I'm going to give you anyway. You want to take my sign? Well, here, I'm going to give you one. And the sign is, the virgin will conceive, and this virgin will call the child Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow, what a wonderful promise. What a tremendous sign. God is going to be with us. Moses begged God to stay with the children of Israel in the wilderness. God was so angry, he said, I'll go, let you go, but I'm going to stay out, away from you a little ways, because I don't want to destroy you. And Moses begged him, if you don't go, let's not go either. We want you to be with us. Emmanuel, be with us. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. But unfortunately, when God gave it, he gave it in anger 
Isaiah was angry with the king. And this sign that should have been a great blessing was actually a punishment. It's actually a curse on Ahaz and on all the people who would not believe. If you love God, you want him to be with you. But if you don't believe and you don't accept God, then his presence is very terrifying. You remember Adam and Eve when they first sinned? What did they do? They hid from God. They were afraid of God. They had been in perfect communion with him. And all of a sudden, they were hiding among the trees to stay away from his presence. We have so many cases of this throughout the Bible. And then at the end of the, in the book of Revelation, we're told that the people were so afraid of God and his wrath that they would call for the rocks to fall on them to protect them from the presence of God. So we have this wonderful sign that God gave to his people, Emmanuel, God with us. So Ahaz rejected it, and God gave it as a punishment for him and all people who do not believe. But Isaiah was there. As Isaiah gave those words, they stirred his heart. And they stirred the heart of all the people that heard it, that who believed in God. We know God has always had a remnant. He's always had a small group, at least, of people who were waiting for his promises, who were loving him. Remember, Elijah the prophet was so discouraged. He thought he was the only one left. But God told him there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So here we are. Isaiah gives this promise as a judgment on Ahaz, but as a great hope for God's people. And so this promise rekindled again the blessing that God was promising to his people. Once again, the people began to hope and to expect the coming of a Messiah. This was a great message that God was giving. In the time before Jesus was born, we know there were several people who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. We know of uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and then uh, Simeon and Anna are mentioned in the New Testament. Down through the years, waiting and waiting. And finally, an angel came and spoke to a virgin. A young woman who was a virgin named Mary. And he told her that the Messiah would be born through her. This great promise was fulfilled in the time of Jesus Christ when he was born. So now as we look back, we think of the promise of Emmanuel and we say it was completed. It was fulfilled in the time when Christ was born. The angels came and the shepherds had the great experience of hearing the heavenly host. The Magi came and brought their gifts to the Christ child who was the king of the universe. So here we have the promise fulfilled. And now as we celebrate Christmas, we're looking back and celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer expecting him to come. He came and he dwelt among us. But something interesting happened when Jesus was ready to leave the earth in his human body still, but leaving physically. He told his disciples he had to go away. And his disciples were very sad. Jesus, we just figured out who you are. Uh, we've been with you all these years, but our eyes were blind, and now that you finally revealed yourself to us, and we worship and we know you're God, you're the Lord, you say you're going to leave us. You can't do that. But Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. 
so that I can send the Holy Spirit. So now in this time in which we live still, 2,000 years after that, we are still in a time when God has poured out his Holy Spirit upon believers, upon his church. So we are no longer looking forward to Christ as a savior. We now know him in our hearts that we received him as our savior. As we read also earlier in the worship service, as many as received him, God gave them the power, the authority, the right to be called children of God. Told those, everybody, I'm sorry, a little Spanish here. <laughs> Better quit looking over that way. <laughs> everybody who has faith and received Jesus Christ as his Savior has a hope of eternal life and has the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts. We don't have to look elsewhere. We don't have to look for a Christ. We don't have to look for a Savior. We already have one, and much less we don't have to try to save ourselves. There's no way we can save ourselves. We might not be supposedly as wicked as Ahaz. We may not have done some of the things that he did. But our sin is ever before us. We are aware of our sin, just like David said in Psalm 51. We are rebellious. We would rather not be in God's presence sometimes. Sometimes we're afraid of God because we know he judges sin. And we know we have sin in our hearts. So right now, we accept Christ as our Savior. We accept him as the one who gave his life on the cross to take our place, to pay for our sins on the cross. And this is what he did 2,000 years ago. And now he's living with us. He's reigning in heaven. He's with us by his Holy Spirit. But that's not the end of the story. Even though we have all this wonderful presence of God in our lives, we're still looking forward to something else. The promise of God is still to be fulfilled in its completion. And we look forward to that day when Christ comes again. He said, I will come again. When he went to heaven, the angel said, just as you saw him go, he will come back. In uh, Revelation, he says he's coming. And it says he will be Emmanuel Otervais. Uh, uh, again, he will be Emmanuel. He will be with us. As it says in Revelation 21, he will dwell with his people. But now we'll be face to face. We will have the resurrected bodies once again. And we will be in Christ's presence forever. If anyone here has not received Christ as their Savior, this is a wonderful time to do it. As remember God's promise that he is with us. He's right here. He's ready to save us, to forgive us of our sins because Christ died for us on the cross. And if we have accepted Christ as our Savior, we can rejoice and we can look forward in spite of trials and tribulation as we've uh, studied in the book of James and this morning in our Sunday school class, count it all joy in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations, in the midst of problems. Count it all joy because God is with us. Emmanuel, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.